Welcome back to Cooper Deeper, a Twin Peaks podcast for regular people. I'm Jess. I am Mikey. And we are back again. We have been working our way through season one of Twin Peaks. We are on episode five. Um, Michael, any thoughts off the dome? Um, No. Um, This is a good episode. This is... I feel like this is the start of it being a little bit less Lynch Frost involved, mm. although they, they get writing credit for it mm. along with Robert Engels for this episode. But it's they start laying the groundwork for, like, let's start other storylines. Sure. Like, Bobby is trying to set up Jacques, and, mm. you know, we've got... Shelly and Bobby together. You've got Dr. Jacoby is now his whole thing. Mm-hmm. If he was seeing, you he know, introduced Madeline Ferguson. Uh, well, she was introduced in the well, last we've, episode, we've, but uh, you've got she's met the other. Characters. Yeah, she's she's now met James. Mm-hmm. Like you have, you know, um, uh, Hank. You get introduced to Hank for mm-hmm. the first time, so that Hank Norma scenario is is coming in. Um, Trouble in Paradise for Lucy and Andy. Oh, you hate to see it. Um, yeah, I mean, so there's you're starting to be like, this is a, this is still a television show. Mm-hmm. You're not wrapping up to a conclusion anytime really soon, right? You know, you're you're starting, you're starting to, to start new storylines and branch off from the original "Who Killed Laura Palmer?" question. So, uh, leading up to this episode, we had, of course, Laura Palmer's funeral, which was really dramatic and traumatic. Um, for everybody involved, we had Madeline Ferguson, uh, who is played by the same actress as Laura Palmer, but is Cheryl playing her Lee. cousin. Um, she enters the picture, which is tripping everybody out because mm-hmm. they look almost the, exactly the, the same. The introduction in this in this episode with her and James is so awkward, but oh like my God. you get why. Yeah, he does it, but he's also just like, walks up and stares this poor girl in the face, yeah. and it's just like, who are you? Yeah. Well, his social graces yeah. have are wanting. Um, anything else important that we... So uh, we also meet the one-armed man as a human being, not yes. as uh, Mike, right? Not as Mike and not as like a creepy guy wandering the halls of the hospital. Yes. Um, anything else we needed to get on board to this? Um, I'm not sure what you mean by that. But... Well, I just want to make sure like when people people have uh context for everything that's going on is there anything that like you should have watched i mean the previous episodes (laughs) no i know but i mean things like madeline ferguson um do you want me to read the log lady intro or sure can we 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 should either read that at least on every episode or drop the audio in or something because i i think there's usually a lot of um symbolism i guess wisdom in Mm -hmm. there like there's a lot of clues to figure out the show and what's happening and all that kind of stuff in those things i think they're poignant and great and just they're basically just great poems yeah if nothing else so i think it's important to hear and most people don't have access to them unless sure. you are watching it again or watching it on disc or whatever but most people won't have access to them in whatever streaming service uh, even the ones who laugh are sometimes caught without an answer these creatures who introduce themselves but swear we have met them somewhere before yes Look in the mirror. What do you see? It is, is it a dream or a nightmare? Are, are we being introduced against our will? Are they mirrors? I can see the smoke. I can smell the, fu- the fire. The battle is drawing nigh. 
So, yeah, we have references to a lot of we've met them somewhere else before, which applies to Maddie and mm-hmm. Mike. What's Mike's name? The character who is it Mike? Philip Gerard. Philip Gerard. Which is another reference to something, another piece of art that David Lynch likes. Do you know what it is? Uh, the Fugitive, the TV show, the detective who's chasing. Uh, oh, Campbell's the one-armed is, man. Well, it's. He's not the one-armed man in, in The Fugitive, but the cop uh-huh. who's chasing Richard Kimball is named Philip Gerard, which is a direct reference to the one-armed man. Um, <laughs> when I was a kid and I saw Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, mm-hmm. don't close your eyes. Listen, I was like nine. It was extremely funny. Um, he does a, it wasn't me, it was the one-armed man, and I always thought that was a Twin Peaks reference. <laughs> That's funny. I didn't see that coming. See, I, me there. I told good anecdotes. I was uh, sitting dead red for that fastball, and <laughs> boom, just got me swinging out in front. Okay, here we go. Sarah Palmer, so this is Laura Palmer's mother. Was that, was Ace Ventura before the, the fugitive... Movie? Movie? Oh, I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, I could look it up, but I have to do anyway. a podcast here. Um, Sarah Palmer, so Laura's mother, describes a man to Deputy Andy Brennan as he makes a sketch. You mentioned that you really liked that Andy is a sketch yeah, artist. I, I do like Andy is the sketch artist, which gives him some importance in the force, which I really like. Yeah, like, because all you've ever seen is, like, the guy who cries at a crime scene Mm -hmm. and the guy who stumbles around and drops his gun and it goes off. Or, like, he's just this bumbling, you know, Barney Fife detective or or, um, uh, deputy. Yeah. So it's nice to see that, like, oh, he's the sketch artist. And he's really good. Mm -hmm. Like, that's yeah. A, yeah, he's you know he didn't draw like some caricature or something stupid. <laughs> like he's 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 figure. got abilities that are useful to the force. Um, Donna sits on the couch. So Donna is Laura from Boyle, who is um, Laura Palmer's best friend in life. Uh, sits on the couch with Sarah and Maddie, the aforementioned cousin, um, carries in some tea, which is weird. Which part? Why is Donna there? Why is Donna there? Donna's, Donna's there so that she shoehorned can, in. So she can find out that the half-heart necklace is part of the vision that mm. Sarah had of the, it being, like, it's just, she has, there's no purpose for her. She's a there. real nothing burger of a character. Well, not not that as much as just in that yeah, sequence, so. why is she there? There's no reason why she would be there while the cops are interviewing yeah, yeah to get a sketch of the vision that Laura or uh, Sarah had um, but anyway Harry sits on a chair listening Sarah says that she saw Bob at the foot of Laura's bed Leland in his bathrobe asks if she told them about the necklace and says that Sarah had two visions she tells of a flashlight moving across the ground in a gloved hand moving a rock and pulling out Laura's broken necklace Donna looks away so this happened in the pilot that time? was the the yeah the the very end of the pilot mm-hmm. is that vision is that um, no yes 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 because Donna and James bury correct the necklace and then some we 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 see that Sarah has a vision and somebody dug dug him up um <laughs> cut to Lucy watching Invitation to Love well and they cut really well with 
it's a very serious moment well, and it's, cut into. it's Donna making a realization of like holy, holy crap someone dug up the necklace mm-hmm. that we buried and then the shot in Invitation to Love starts on Emerald's mm-hmm. the character Emerald's necklace and slowly pulls out from that to reveal right. like just storylines that are happening in Twin Peaks uh, yeah like it's a twin Basically, sister if, is seducing you, her brother if you break down everything Lucy says it's everything that's about to happen in this episode with like the double crossing like oh that's gonna be um the mill stuff with mm-hmm. Catherine and, and Ben Horn um it's it's the two characters Emerald looks exact okay so that's Laura and that's Maddie like it's they really start setting up like and it's not it's not one for one very specific it's meant to just be a hat tip to like yeah we're a, we're yeah a we're a soap opera, opera you know um Lucy's entranced by invitational love and Harry enters and asks for an update <laughs> hey Lucy what's going on and oh, it's so good she does what a 30 second monologue of she does a 30 second monologue in 15 seconds <laughs> of just giving the rundown of yeah. invitation to love i might drop that in because that's pretty good morning lucy what's going on uh thanks to jay jared decided not to kill himself and he's changed his will leaving the towers to jade instead of emerald but emerald found out about it and now she's trying to seduce chet to give her the new will so that she can destroy it montana's planning to kill jared at midnight so the towers will belong to emerald and montana but i think she's going to double cross him and he doesn't know it yet Poor Chet. What's going on here? Uh, Agent Cooper's in the conference room with Dr. Jacoby. Thank you. Harry leaves and listens. And then, and then, and then again, like the phone thing in the pilot. Where he lets her finish. He let, they let her finish everything and then just goes, no, Lucy, what's happening here? <laughs> um, and then it is shown that Lucy and um, Andy are fighting. Mm-hmm. Which I guess I don't think I realized the last few times that they were established as dating early on and then kind of had a falling out. I always thought it was like a will they or won't they, but I, I guess it's, I wasn't paying that much attention. It's a little bit of both. It's a it's they're screwing around and they're dating and they've hooked up, mm-hmm. but they're not dating. Mm-hmm. Like it's basically it's. I always got the vibe Andy's too shy and doesn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And Lucy really wants a man to take charge, and that's not Andy. So she's waiting for him to do that. Yeah. Um, so she keeps like dropping hints like, I'm going to leave uh-huh. if you don't do it. But Andy doesn't get it. And he still wants, he's still overly nice. So yes. he's afraid to like step up and be like, okay, I'll. I think my favorite thing about Lucy's character is how very performative she is. Like she walks out as they're walking by, she walks out into the hallway and then just stops and like almost poses while they walk Uh by like, I'm not paying attention to you. I'm very busy. Yeah. Can you tell that? And like, and then then Andy stops. Does she call him Mr. Something or like something formalized? I think she calls him Deputy Brennan. I just think that's really cute when yeah. people are like, I'm mad at you, so I'm calling you Mr. Grife. Like, mm-hmm. that's how you know you're in trouble. Yeah, it's like when your parents yell at you and use all three names or mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, in the conference room, Dr. Jacoby performs some slight... Michael, I'm going to take that pen away from you. I sort of... Oh, fu- what is it? Bag 
clip thing. Oh, oh, sorry. I thought it was something important, like a pen. Um, (laughs) So Dr. Jacoby performs some sleight of hand with golf balls. Always fun. Yeah. Mikey and I love sleight of hand. Uh, Absolutely. (laughs) Love it. I don't care how bad the trick is. I am just delighted to be there. Uh, A little quick plug. Go online and look up John Armstrong. He's a friend of ours. He does a bunch of tricks with a tiny plunger, and he's incredible. He's very, very good. Um. So, uh, sleight of hand, some golf balls. But yeah, and and that's also like that's, um, um. I I want to help name? you, but I'm I don't know. Jacoby. Yeah. Um, J- Doctor Jacoby. Yeah. What's uh, Russ Tamlin. Well, Russ Tamlin. Thank oh, you. I, <laughs> I kept wanting to say Richard Beamer, but that's. <laughs> it's like uh, I know it's. Yeah. Um, Russ Tamlin. Russ Tamlin is a performer, so he does. Like, Y'all, who's doing uh, that sleight of hand? They just work that in because it's a talent. He He's a dancer and a gymnast, you... and he does, like, flips and twists and all this stuff. Like, that's how he, he – the Seven Brides, Seven Brothers one. I was one, just about to say that. He does a whole dance number slash acrobatic number. Yeah, it's very of its Brides, time. The film version of – I think it's in the it's 50s. Incredible. Seven Brides for Seven yeah, Brothers. Yeah, but he's, like, leaping off of balconies and, like, twisting and flipping. It's incredible. Drop a yeah, we'll drop a link to it. Yeah, I'm sure it's online. 1954. But so I mean, if you know, if if you're not like a, a big old school musical fan like I am, you might not have seen Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, but you might have seen West Side Story. Which even if you haven't seen it, oh my god, it's so fucking good. It's yeah. not. And he dances and stuff. He and dances, that, but he doesn't do. He does no. He doesn't do the acrobatic side. Yeah. He does. He does like a couple dope flips. During the dancing and during Officer Crocky. Like a circus performer. Oh my god, he's so talented. And have I said that I met him? Have I? I I didn't realize you did. I thought that's. Because I remember being really disappointed that we couldn't go to Twin Peaks Fest this year and, and Russ Damblin was going to be there. Um, no, I met him. So Mikey and I met working oh, at a yes, place I called yeah, yeah. Uh, Hollywood Boulevard, which is in Lombard, Illinois. So like Western suburbs. That's where Mikey and I met in 2004. We didn't start dating for a few years after that. But that place, it's one of those, um, it was the first one that I knew of that was like this, but it's pretty common now that it's a bar, movie theater, restaurant situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and they would do a lot of like, Listen, we could do a whole podcast yeah. about the crimes that were committed yeah. at Hollywood Boulevard uh, in, yeah. the, in the mid-aughts. Like, um, needless to say, the owner is in prison right now. Yes. And it or, happened on Mikey's birthday, and we celebrated. Oh, that's right. It was yeah. my birthday. Yeah, it was yes, so good. Was awesome. Oh, that guy. Uh, um, but yeah, they would, they would bring in a lot of, like, the... Yeah, I met the the twins. Uh, excuse, yeah, the twins who play the twins from Harry Potter. Um, oh, fuck. Yeah. Fred the and Jesus. George. Yikes. That um, was scary. Yeah, and they would bring in, like... The um, one of the actresses, Delorean from Back to the Future. Yeah. They one would of the have like Twilight was always there for some reason. They would Ashley have, Green, um, I would say. Lollipop Guild people from Wizard of Oz yep. and things like that. Like they always had. There is, if you go there event. today, the intro and listen, like it seems to have cleaned its act up. Like it seems like a decent place to work. Doesn't At least the other one. They open a second branch. Yeah. I don't know what the original one is like anymore. I don't. That's true. We haven't been there in, in years, um, but we we live across the street from kind of across the street from the Hollywood Palms, which is their second location. And if we go to movies there, well, did in the before time, mm-hmm. pretty frequently, because it's just a nice place mm-hmm. to watch a movie and get a drink, yeah. Um, and they have a Dan Aykroyd intro oh, of yeah. him redoing one of his Blues Brothers speeches from, it's maybe five years old, ten years old. Not Blues Brothers, but this... I, it's, I mean, it's older than that now, because... <sighs> yeah. Yeah, but... Anyway, it's just... It's that kind of shit that it's literally just he was sitting in the front of the theater and did the whole like 
what's yeah, the, what's the speech? We clearly, clearly paid him for 10 minutes of his time. Yeah, we're, it's dark and we're wearing sunglasses. Hey, welcome to the best movie theater in the whole wide world. It's and me, Dan Aykroyd. shot on a crappy camcorder. And you can, like, hear people. It's the pits. Yeah. Anyway, all that to say is um, they did a little, uh, a little, a uh, West Side Story reunion mm-hmm. there. Um, and they had both Russ Tamlin and... Fuck, I cannot think of his name. Bernardo, Bernardo, West Side Story. It's Chick, uh, Chica, George Chikaris. Mm, that's right. Um, so, anyway, all this is, I met him. He was very nice. I have a picture of it. I'll probably post it. He, and he's a, he's a one. He, so sweet. He came into Twitter, like, last year. Oh, my God. If you go back to, like, his first, like, it's... I don't remember what he said now, it's but he came literally. in with, like, the best intro to Twitter ever. And also, it, he's like, hey, if you support Trump, and then there's a gif of him from West Side Story going, beat it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> he gets it. Yeah. Um, and he did, and like, an AMA, and I asked him when the last time he I did a backflip. his first or, or his second or third was just a red dot and a blue dot. Yes. Because it looks like Jacoby's glasses. He it's great. gets his brand. Oh, he's incredible. And what were you... Oh, I asked him, he did like an AMA thing, and he was like, I'm at the airport, ask me anything. And I said, when's the last time you did a backflip? And he replied, in my dreams. And <laughs> anyway, deeply in love with him. Yeah. But so he, anyway, to go back to the podcast that we're doing, um, he has the wildest look. So this is early, if you're not watching along, I don't know why you wouldn't be, but he's wearing like a thick long sleeve shirt and a dense sweater vest it's, it's like a long sleeve hawaiian shirt too because it's got like a map and stuff yeah on. and like this thick sweater but like everybody's big wearing old, big old bow tie so and many like layers in this show tooth pant like it's a lot and he's always wearing these red and blue glasses which are and i described them before as like the um uh 3d glasses but they're like that but they're big they look ass like the john lennon sunglasses i'd say bigger than bigger that. but like where it's just Very a colored round. lens it's not like yeah, yeah, they're not they're like gag. They blue. look like regular lenses or regular yeah. glasses that they just threw these weird lenses in. It's it's such a bizarre and inspired choice to be like, hey, we're going to plant a flag that this guy's weird. Yeah, oh yeah. they He has a whole article and or chapter and such in The Secret History of Twin Peaks if you ever read that book and they go into detail about why he wears those glasses oh do they which is are are there is there reason beyond it's a whole i mean that's all it is at this point because that book just came out like two years ago Mm. three years ago maybe um and it's it goes it goes into like his like psychedelic phase and all this stuff and it it, it was a way for him to separate his left brain from his right right brain and see things in a certain way and it was a whole like whoa man yeah. approach to life he definitely which... has a burnt out hippie yeah. professor professorial vibe mm-hmm. is how i would describe him yeah of like did a lot of acid in the 70s and then by the and, 90s and was like okay did I guess... a lot more acid <laughs> yeah um anyway uh Golf, uh, Agent Cooper watches Dr. Jacoby from across the table and tries... Great shots, too, by the way. The two of them where you see the entire length of the table, yeah. and they're just... Cooper's sitting all prim and proper at one end. And Jacoby's. And the far end of that table, Jacoby's <laughs> at the other end playing with golf balls, throwing them behind his ear, and then pulling it out yeah. of his mouth, and all this weird stuff. Um, 
uh, he, uh, Agent Cooper tries to get Jacoby to tell him why Laura came, went to Jacoby. Um, I think he asked him about her coke problem. I might, I might be Correct. wrong. Okay. Um, here's a pen. Um, and then Jacoby per, uh, refuses to confirm whether Laura had problems with cocaine or sexual problems. And he turns around and, of course, Cooper um, on the wall behind Jacoby has the map we saw before. <laughs> the big it's the map same of China. With, yeah. Oh, is it a chalkboard? I thought it was just pinned up on the wall. Or they it's, just rolled that the same cha- It's the backside of the same chalkboard. Um, he, um, he says, and it's not in this, but he says the wildest thing about, like, my interests also lie east. Only as, <laughs> as far well as, as Hawaii. Hawaii. Which, I will tell you, if you want me to laugh at your joke, Get a white dude to earnestly pronounce something like it. Like, like it, it a, pronounces English, the W's as V's even. Hawaii. Hawaii. Yeah. Like, like if he had said it like Mexico, like nothing yeah. makes me laugh harder than like white men trying to do like the good accent for like one word. The one word, like the state or the country, it makes me laugh every time. Also, it doesn't make any sense because. If they're in, if they're Hawaii in Washington, famously west. Yeah, it, it's. I mean, it's not that much further west. It's more south than yeah. anything. But it's. I mean, you have to. If you're you go going the long way, if you go east from Washington to get to Hawaii, <laughs> it's gonna take you a long. Listen, time. I understand connecting flights are tricky. We <laughs> all have a hard time with. Them. Yeah, you might have to go east to like. I don't, I don't even know. Walla, where's an airport that's east of? Uh, the Missoula Airport is east. Okay, is it? All right. It is. And it also has a stuffed bear in its terminal. Although I technically... One day we're going to go to the Missoula Airport and... I'm, I'm game. You're going to be so thrown off by that fucking airport because it is... It's... It is roughly the size of an average size DMV around here. Like, I mean, it's so small. The airport in Kona in Hawaii is like that. Oh, I'm Mikey up in Hawaii. Yeah. Ooh. That's uh, you. That's what you said. It's pronounced like. Hawaii. <laughs> oh, you mean Kona? That's not, that's nothing. That was literally nothing. Um. Okay. <laughs> Watches him cross the table. Uh, okay, so he discusses Hawaii, and then he starts talking about the medicinal uh, qualities of ginger, and Cooper's like, hey, ginger and cocaine are not, because he was like, if she was looking for help, no matter where it was, that was a good sign, and he's like, well, you saying ginger and cocaine, and cocaine you understand they're not the same, <laughs> yeah. it's important to me that we both understand those aren't the same things. Like, and, and it's it's acknowledging the fact that, like, you're a doctor. <laughs> you don't understand that? Like, genuinely questioning, like, the validity of who this man is. Which is smart and fair. Yeah, perfectly accurate. Yeah. Um, Cooper asks why Jacoby will not help the police investigation. Jacoby says his personal investigation will continue the rest of his life. Very dramatically. <laughs> oh, he's so dramatic. Uh, and he says Laura had well-guarded secrets and he was that he was not able to access. He also, and that is not listed here, I don't think, but he says something super gross about, because um, 
Cooper talked about the men she was dating, and she was, mm-hmm. and Jacoby goes, "Those were boys. Laura was a woman," and I slithered out of my skin because I was so grossed out. And then he asked him point blank if he slept with Laura Palmer, and he said no after a pregnant pause. Yeah, but at least it was like a defit. Like it was kind of like a. What is sex among? <sighs> no. Like, there was, like, kind of a sigh. And what like, do you think that sigh was saying? Was that sigh saying, not for lack of trying? I, the thing is, here's the thing. Like, Jacoby is desperately in love with Laura. Yes. Did he ever actually sleep with her? No. No. But I don't know that he was legitimately trying. No. I just think he was very, very deep, like, just enamored by yeah. all of all of what she was. And so the no was, the pause was like, I was in love with Laura. I'm not going to tell you that. I was in love with Laura. But also, definitively, no. We definitely. Like, it wasn't like, well, we had a relationship that was It was complicated. Different. Yeah, it wasn't anything like that. It was, it was a definitive no. Yeah. And I, I still believe that. I don't know if that ever comes back. I don't remember. But I, I, I believe that's true. Regardless he should have his license revoked if in fact he has one which oh, is a terrible terrible doctor. big question mark yeah. at oh, this point <laughs> um so uh harry enters and jacoby says that the night after laura died he followed a man in a red corvette to old sawmill road then lost him on the intercom lucy tells cooper that he has a call from his supervisor gordon cole also there's a great joke in there that is delivered beautifully where he the one I wrote down? Uh, or, oh, is it? Oh, I thought it was right before Jacoby left. Oh, no, no. It's, it's, gotcha, it's, gotcha. It has to do with Gordon Cole. Yeah, so Gordon, he, he leaves. He gives the, what do you call the shaka? The hang loose. But he like. Yeah, like. He like moves his little fingers in on each other. Like everything so he does is just And he's just lightly Standing off. there rolling the golf ball around his fingers. Like he was doing some contact juggling and it was dope looking. Yeah, like, <laughs> it was cool. But it was. Like maybe a police headquarters yeah. isn't the, the place for contact juggling, but. I'm here to see it. Um, so Cooper dismisses Jacoby, asks him if he'll be around, and Jacoby says he'll be uh, that the ed- at the end of the month he's going on a pilgrimage to Pebble Beach. So I guess he golfs. Yeah. Cool. He likes Hawaii and he likes golf. That's okay. Um, Cooper asks Leo. Excuse me. Cooper asks Harry if Leo that's, drives that's the red Corvette. That's also a thing. Like it's one of those things you take for granted, but. And I've seen people talk about it. I've never really cared. But if you, since this show takes place every episode being a day, roughly, mm. him leaving to go to Pebble Beach and come back, you know, whatever, kind of really disrupts the timeline. Like oh. when you see him and when you see him leave, when you see him come back, like it doesn't really matter. But is really that a self imposed thing that they do one day per episode, or is that just like a way to kick it off? Because there was a lot going on at the beginning of this investigation. I mean, it's the structure. It's oh. the how it's, you know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah, it's the structure of the show. So I don't know that it's, yeah, I guess it's self imposed, but it's also. Well, at least the end of the month. It could be like February it, yeah, 20th. It, but it's one of those that, like, uh, it's February 23rd. So it makes perfect yeah. sense. And, but it's also, I think he's back before that. Like, it's so, anyway. Mm, I think it's airtight. Okay. Okay, so on the, f- um, Harry set, uh, affirms that uh, Leo drives a red Corvette. 
He drives a Corvette and he's a trucker with a waitress? I mean, that tracks. Does it? Do truckers make a lot of money? I mean, they make a... At least then, especially. I think they did. Enough for... It's a tough... To, but, like... He's also the type of guy who... Probably when spend. he gets home, he wants to spend his money on toys himself. for himself. Yeah. You know? Uh, okay. So the house is half broken. Right. Um... Harry also says that he has men telling Jacques Renault um, on the phone. So we get this speakerphone set up, which I really enjoyed mm-hmm. seeing. Um, so we this is our first introduction to Gordon Cole, who I will say, aside from Dale Cooper, is probably my favorite. And you character. don't know that yet. This is like so. Th- it's not credited, but the voice on of Gordon Cole also we mentioned that I think before another name that he stole from Sunset Boulevard mm-hmm. is Gordon Cole, um, is David, David Lynch. Lynch. It's his voice. He's also just reading the lines. He comes in later in the second season with a character. Oh, he doesn't come in until the second season. He doesn't season? come in until the second season. Part of him coming in was to try to write the ship because the show was going astray. Oh, and so he they brought him in to try to be on set and try and fix some things. Um, huh. but Gordon Cole didn't have a character, and it was just like we need someone to read these lines. I'll just do it. Uh huh. So that's all it was. So he's not even credited. Interesting. Like it isn't Gordon Cole that you know of as Gordon Cole. Mm-hmm. It's just it's his boss. Suit, and this yeah. is because so this is the only reference to him until the second season. Uh, on the phone, Gordon Cole says that the twine from. So remember uh, when. Uh, Albert. Albert did the autopsy. He said there was twine on her wrists and on her arms. It was so she was tied up two separate times. Yeah, two. Well, that not not that those twines were different, but that she was tied up at one location and tied up at a different location with two different sets of twine. But wasn't like one on her wrists and the second location was her arms? I think that was established. I'm it, pretty the, the, those were both happened, but it, it, the it, it was the twine isn't that like wrists were different twine than the arms. It was just that different twine was used at different locations. Okay. But, okay. That's all. I'm, yeah. Um, he says the twine from Laura's shoulders is a common household item, but the twine Finley's from... Finley's fine twine. But the twine from her wrists does not match. Uh, he says that marks on her shoulders were bird bites, and that Albert is reconstructing the plastic fragments from her stomach. Gordon says that Albert... <laughs> oh, Yeah. Uh, Gordon says that Albert wants Harry's badge because of their fight. So if you remember, Albert is a uh, supremely dislikable character in the context of the show. Um, (laughs) Thank you for the disclaimer. And he uh, keeps just talking down and harassing everybody. And finally, Harry just punches him in the the face which i don't think i re- realized what a strange punch that was it's like it is he a, wears like, all the way back it's like a baseball he like comes yeah. over the top like he's like pitching a baseball yeah but just like it would it's 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 some form i'll say that like because all the power comes from your elbow right well <laughs> i like punch. i like that it's like it's not a quick sucker punch it's a Why i'm not? letting you know this is coming mm-hmm. Um, Gordon says that Albert wants Harry's badge because of their fight, and Cooper defends. I'll take this all the way up the chain to Washington. Oh, and this is, <laughs> we might title the episode this, but when he's like, well, we've got a file on this guy, and Cooper goes, file it under F for forget it, which is <laughs> <laughs> it's such a bad joke, but it made me, 
not a joke. It it's, was just a dumb thing to say. It's also it's a it's a nice moment. The whole conversation is a nice moment because Cooper, up until this point, has always been really calm and composed, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he sits down to talk to his boss, and he's like adjusting the speakerphone and like like really like fidgety and like like. He's nervous, like he's. It's like a kid at church, just yeah, like, can't like, sit still. And but like... but I like there's a genuine fear of like, am I gonna get re- like I'm the the top dog now, but now my boss is chiming right. in, and it's like he's he's nervous about it, which is kind of just sweet and gives him some humanity. Uh, Andy brings in his sketch from uh, from his conversation with Sarah. Um, it's the same man that Cooper dreamed of, Bob. Deputy Hawk calls to say he found the one-armed man at the Timber Falls Motel, and they leave to meet him. He also says, I wasn't at the meeting where you sketched it, because I didn't want to give off any vibes. I'm a strong sender. Which is, is such, I love it. It's just a great, like, that's, yeah, that's what I wrote down. Um, It's just such a great, like, just looking out for the group. I don't want to accidentally, telepathically send the images that I saw oh my God. when it's... we're getting a sketch from a random vision that this woman like the whole thing is so absurd but like but it's so it's fan, but, true to life but just so honest I, I know I'm a strong sender well, like, I, there's it's, a, it's just sweet there's a podcast I was in here called Oh No Russ and Carrie um, Russ I, I know them both Russ Blotcher is a friend of mine and they do interview they, they their whole thing is they invest claims of the paranormal mm-hmm. or pseudoscience or whatever and so they end up talking to a lot of like healers and people who like they just look at you and you're healed or like they touch you or whatever and that rings so true of like oh i know i'm a strong sender so i have to avoid things like yeah. that like it's very precious about yourself but ultimately it doesn't mean anything okay uh, at the Timber Falls Motel, Josie sits in her car with a camera. Um, Catherine rubs... Oh, and then we cut to into the one of the motel rooms uh, where Catherine and, uh, Catherine and Benjamin Horn. So Catherine... Martell? Martell. I feel like I always get in the weeds for this one. Okay, so Catherine this, is... Um, I was, like, repeating stuff as they were saying it this time because I'm going... And I think I finally have a more or less understanding of the mill plotline. But you get almost all of the mill plotline in this scene. Yes. Um, and I'm glad you were paying attention because I zoned out because it's boring. It, that's exactly And that's, I think, what happens every time I watch it. Yeah. You just all of a sudden are on your phone. and Or, or whatever. I just, you, you just you're watching. Even, even if you're watching it, you're just like, this isn't that interesting. It doesn't and, stick. And they're talking like this to each mm-hmm. other very softly and smooth so it's like nothing is yeah resonating you right. know what i mean uh so Catherine martell is the uh the sister of the late owner of the packard sawmill um which her brother died and left it to his wife josie packard who is also here um she is trying to cook the books for she being she- Catherine. She, yes, thank you. Catherine is trying to cook the books so they can commit insurance fraud. Correct. Okay. So Ben Horn is her lover. She's married to Pete Martell. I'm getting really good at this. Mm-hmm. I Like six months ago, I could not have done this. Um, she's married to Pete Martell, who's wholesome as can be mm-hmm. and just likes fishing. Um, but she's sleeping with Benjamin Horn, who's the owner of the, uh, it's not the Great Lakes Hotel. What is Great it? Great Northern. Great Northern Hotel. 
um, and various other yeah he's department he's like the businessman yeah. throughout town um and they're sleeping together and they're also scheming together that they're going to cook the books on the sawmill mm-hmm. burn it down frame josie mm-hmm. who uh for committing arson and insurance fraud mm-hmm. but then they get the money which if it's arson why would they do an insurance payout I, I don't know about the framing Josie. Is that they said she they? Okay. she said make shit, sure that still, see, no she said make okay. sure it says that Josie Packard arson etc. Yes, like she make sure in big letters yes. six feet tall it says arson. That's yeah, Beca- but that doesn't come that comes in later when he is hiring Leo to do it. The arson. The arson. Yeah. Okay, but um, regardless, they're going to burn the place down and then pin it on Josie. I think I their plan think, is fraud because the if thing. there's arson, they're not going to get insurance money. Period. Right? I I or, think you still would. If someone vandalizes your car, uh-huh. insurance will still cover it as long as they don't prove that it's you. You know what I mean? Uh, if it's arson from somebody, but else. technically Josie would be the insurance holder. But if so they, like saying, but if they can, if they. They're trying to pin it on Josie so that she gets no. Okay, that's right. That's right. That's right. They don't actually. No, that's why it gets confusing. I got it. I got it. I got it. Okay. So they are doing insurance fraud, sort of. They're trying to pin it on Josie. So they burn it down. Uh-huh. Pin it on Josie. Uh-huh. Josie gets busted. She uh-huh. goes to jail for insurance fraud. Now the mill is gone, and Ben Horn has the land. So they don't want the insurance money at all. They want the land. Ben Horn wants the land. He wants to build Ghostwood Estates. Or but what is uh, what's her face want then, Catherine? She's gonna go in on the investment. I think that. And she wants Josie out of the way. Yeah. I think. But that doesn't explain why they are cooking the books. Because who cares how the business was doing? I think cooking the books just. If you can pin that on Josie, then that's how you can determine it's insurance fraud Mikey I think there's some holes in this plan nope. there's <laughs> because she's dating the sheriff of the town and she has told him already that she That's suspects a somebody oh I'm sorry <laughs> I didn't realize that that's on me um so anyway Catherine rubs Benjamin's shoulders brags about her success in switching the books Harry pulls up to the motel and Hawk says to check room 101 uh, they're looking for with Gerard what are man warm, warm-armed man his name is Gerard they don't know that yet but yeah um under the name Gerard Catherine and Benjamin joke about their plan to torch the mill classic comedy Harry Andy and Cooper knock on the door of the hotel room Andy drops his <laughs> gun and it fires hey Michael uh in this sort of time of unrest and fuck the police how does it make you feel to have a bumbling character who accidentally sh- fires off his gun I mean, at least it's not malicious and targeted. Yeah, but it's that better. Yeah. Absolutely, it's better. It's not great. It's I'm, better. If cops are like, like dropping their... Yeah. Anyway. Uh, Black Lives Matter, guys. Defund the police. Um, so, boop, boop, boop. Toads are good. Benjamin looks through the curtains and out the window, and Catherine says they sound serious, which was 
pretty funny. They were pretty chill about a shot being fired directly outside of their motel. It's also really convenient that the hotel that they're hooking up in and Josie is watching just happens to be the same hotel that Philip Gerard is staying in. Well, there's only one hotel. No, there's not. There's definitely two established there's hotels. There's two, yeah. And later, Philip Gerard, I think, is... Oh, no, that might be something. That's something different. Never mind. Okay. Um... Harry bursts into a motel room. Uh, there's a man in a towel with his hands in the closet. Uh, they tell him to put up his hands. It's revealed he has one, only has one arm. The other one ends at his shoulder. Uh, Benjamin excuses himself for a bath. Oh. Yeah, that's when sorry. he tells them, like, I got to give little Elvis here a bath. Okay, I wrote that down. I don't know. What does it mean, Michael? It's just fucking weird. He just pulls... So it's these two lovers in their 40s or 50s. And he's, like, heading to the bathroom. And he pulls out, like, a four-inch plastic Elvis figurine. Mm-hmm. And goes, gotta give Elvis a bath. And then leaves. No context. No explanation. What the fuck was that? It was upsetting. Um... Uh, a poker and as he leaves a poker chip falls out of his pocket Catherine finds it and it says one eyed jacks um, the officers show the dra- back to the other hotel room the officers show the drawing of the man from the dream so Bob uh, to the one armed man Philip Gerard uh, he says he's never seen that man but he looks like somebody they ask if he knows anyone named Bob and he says his, that Bob Lidecker is his best friend and is in a co- excuse me in a coma at the hospital which is ostensibly explains why he was at the hospital right. all those times. Right. Uh, Gerard tells him that he lost his karma. It doesn't explain why they saw him wandering around in the morgue. Um, but you know what? Morgues yeah. just have a nice vibe. Like, if you just need mm-hmm. to recenter yourself and remind yourself of what's important, just look <laughs> at some dead bodies. Um, he, uh, Gerard tells him that he lost his arm in a car accident while he was on the road selling pharmaceuticals. We've already talked about this actor talking about how we actually... Yeah. Um, if we can find a link, we should try and post yeah, that. Yeah, let me know. I know it's in, like, the bonus material on some of the discs, but if there's a link to it, I'm sure there is somewhere. But it's... That is that is what happened. He lost his arm in a car accident, and it's... It was a motorcycle accident. It doesn't matter. It's an incredible story. Yeah, it's like, a wild and story. It's, there's just this on-set him telling the story to David Lynch from season three. And so, like, so it's, it's real. It's not, like, a CGI thing. Yeah. He, is missing a, his left arm, um, and he lost it in a car accident. And it's it's just a fascinating story mm-hmm. of him of him telling it and how he you know still feels like it's his arm is just sitting in mm-hmm. motor oil and like it's just crazy. Um, the cops ask if uh, Philip ha- had a tattoo on his now missing arm, and he was wary to tell them that, and then he finally breaks down, and it did, and he, and it said, "Mom." Mm-hmm. And he starts crying. And he's a shoe salesman, which I don't he's know if they established. He's a shoe salesman. He's that. got all rights. Yeah. I mean, is there a Matthew McConaughey joke in there? <laughs> Maybe that was it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's it's funny that like all he has is a right arm, so all he has is right shoes. Oh, that's and granted, fine. you only need one shoe realistically. My feet are a half size different. Mine so. are about that too, but. I still, you know, if you're just looking for the fit, I don't buy shoes a half size apart. <laughs> so, I don't know. But there was a really sweet Twitter or some some picture somewhere that it was two guys 
who each had only one right leg and only one left leg, but they had the same size foot. Uh, and they found each other so they could swap the shoes. That, that <laughs> used to be a really popular, um, back in like the, the late 80s, um, early 90s in skateboarding. I, I grew up a big skateboarder oh. or whatever, but that used to be a really prominent thing in skateboarding is you find a buddy who has the same size shoe as you, and you would split the cost of shoes because if I skated left foot forward, my left shoe would always burn out faster than my right shoe. And then you find someone who skates goofy footed, which is right foot forward. And you could trade shoes with each other because, you know. It'll last twice as long. Uh, yes, yeah, so it last twice as long because essentially you only burn out one shoe at a time. <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, the officers return to the car. Hawk tells them that Josie Packard has been stalking at the motel. Staking out the motel. I didn't think stalking out was an expression, <laughs> but I also don't necessarily trust Twin Peaks fandom to give me real idioms. Um, at Twin Peaks High School, right here, Mikey lost the dog. He was, was worried. She's behind me. At Twin Peaks High School, <laughs> done. Well, she's usually being an asshole at this yeah. time of day, but we went to the park. Um, at Twin Peaks High School, Donna puts on le- the. Outside of the pilot, this is the only time you see Twin Peaks High School. Mikey briefly tried to talk me into painting our basement the same way as that girl's high school bathroom is, and I put the kibosh on it because it's just a red stripe. No, it's a, it's a red, red stripe, and then it's a stripe underneath, and then and then two spikes for uh-huh. Twin Peaks, and then it keeps going. The whole high school is like that. The main halls are like that. Uh, Donna puts on lipstick in the girls' room. Audrey enters with a cigarette and shares her ambitions of running away with Cooper. This is also one of the first, like, so this is is Tim Hunter directed. I think he's, of as the series go on, goes on, one of the better directors of the series. Um, but this is one of the first shots that are unique. He does like basically every like shot that has a name. <laughs> he uses it in this episode so there's like this where he does the over the shoulder through the mirror so you're having a conversation between laura and um audrey uh, audrey and donna Donna, but they are rack focusing between the two in the mirror Mm. so you're you're behind them but you see their faces and stuff they do that a bunch and then later they use they do a bunch of uh with hank and norma Mm mm-hmm Really deep focus, rack focus, where one's way up in the foreground, one's way in the background, and then they rack focus between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, between um, uh, Ben Horn and Audrey, they use a split diopter, which mm-hmm. is those shots. Brian De Palma uses it a lot. Once you start noticing yes. it, you notice it where it's like looking two up. totally different planes of focus, where someone's far away, someone's close up. Normally, there isn't a lens that can put them both in sharp focus, but it's basically, it's a it's called a split diopter, and it's a lens that, it's basically like bifocals for your camera. So you can focus on two different things at two different focal lengths. Yeah, our friend. Uh, so they use that a lot, uh, or so they use that in that sequence. Then they use a bunch of Dutch angles, Dutch angles yeah. in, later in the, in the episode. It's just very much like checking all the boxes yeah oh i get to do this now oh i get to do this now and it's in hindsight it's a little over the top but at the time i think it was probably really cool to see like yeah it's probably super film, ambitious film technique being used in television um she, 
uh, Audrey conscripts Donna into helping solve the murder. Audrey summarizes some facts about Laura. Donna agrees on the premise of secrecy. Um, can I say both of these women looked gorgeous in this scene? Of course. Like, their hair yeah. is perfect. Yeah. Oh, I this, just, this is where I fell in love with Audrey. Yeah. Oh, God. That fucking freckle she has. She's gorgeous. Gorgeous. Absolutely. And, like, she just, yeah, has perfect hair. Mm-hmm. Like, this is the hair I like. Like this, and actually the first, the first introduction in epi- in the second episode, mm-hmm. the first introduction in the pilot, she's got really Very short hair, short. and I don't like that as much. It's it's this hairstyle, and then and while she's just like smoking and just being super cool, yeah, yeah. I think of this all the time. There's a Friends episode when they're trying to get Chandler to quit smoking, and he goes, "Smoking is cool, and you all know it." And that's the thing I think of. Every time, like, something like this. I'm like, she does look extremely yeah. cool smoking that cigarette. Yeah. Like, don't smoke, but also, if you do smoke, look like that when you do it. Mm-hmm. Okay, we have Tussle. Okay, Norma meets her husband, Hank Jennings, in jail. Um, so we know he's in jail for manslaughter. Yeah, and he explains that he hit a drifter. Oh, I wasn't paying attention. I on, like his character. On the side of the road. He basically he he tells the story of what happened, but tells it like it's a big misunderstanding. What, what it was the fate that was. Well, what are the odds that this was going to happen? And and you know yeah. they set him straight with like you're still responsible for right. this. Uh, so Norma is the owner of uh, the Double R Diner. I've been watching a lot of um, <laughs> a lot of Parks and Rec, so I keep wanting to call it JJ's Diner. <laughs> JJ from is... Parks and Rec is in season three. Sure is. Detective Mackley. Um, so Norma, who owns uh, the Double R, her husband Hank has been in jail. Um, he pleads with Norma to back him up. She goes to his whatever um, parole hearing. Parole hearing. Thank you. Um, he pleads to Norma. To it back feels him like up. it's like straight out of like Flashdance. It's like the I've the judges like at the table. They're just oh. like all sitting there like prim and proper, like judging him, and it, it just feels like that whole audition scene for <laughs> Flashdance. Uh, Hank blames fate for his accident. Norma says that she'll give him a job when he's out of jail, and that they will live together. Even though Norma is in love with Big Ed, who is yeah. married to Nadine. Nadine. And yeah. Oh, yeah. so many characters. And the entire time he's playing with a domino. Ew, him pulling that domino out of his mouth is maybe the worst thing I've ever I don't seen. Think he, I think that's... The no, next, I saw did, it. Was it in this episode? It's was, seared into my it. retinas. So I thought it was the next one. But it's... He... And that never... It doesn't play. It never I mean, does it's, anything. It's minor. It's minorly menacing. If yeah. that had, like, been his thing. Like, if he had, like, a domino tattoo. Well, and, like, he, he had a domino sent thing. Josie the picture of the domino at the very end of the episode. But, like, it's, yeah. It's, I've come to like Hank's character a lot more mm-hmm. in in subsequent viewings. I didn't like him first time. First few times I watched this show, I didn't really care for him. And mostly because of that stuff, but I actually kind of like him by the second season. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway. Okay, so um, so the officers park at a gas station, and Cooper remarks that in his dream, two men lived above a convenience store. They walk to Lidecker's, vet- Lidecker's veterinary office, where inside the room are several women with exotic pets, including a llama. <laughs> Um, the receptionist looks at the picture and says it's not Dr. Lidecker. Cooper believes that the bird attacked Laura Palmer. 
The bird that attacked Laura Palmer is a patient at the Lidecker's office and confiscates the office files. And in this scene is maybe the best shot in television. Yeah, it's so this is another example of happy accidents on set that they rolled with and they um it just worked out. Um so they he's talking Cooper is talking to the receptionist at Lidecker, they have that whole conversation. Then he turns around, takes a few steps back, meets face-to-face with Truman. So they're having a conversation face-to-face with each other with a small gap between them. And in that gap walks, a woman walks a llama through them. And that was supposed to be all it was, is this woman walks between the two of them with a llama on it. Ha, ha, that's silly. What they didn't predict was that the llama was going to stop, turn its head, and stare directly Cooper in the face and Cooper just like tilts his head looks him in the eye just locks it in locks eyes straight face and then looks right back at Truman and they continue their conversation it is and the fat and the it's just boom 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 back and forth back and forth back to Truman and they finish their conversation and it's nobody nobody breaks character nobody like it would have been like the perfect moment to just press up laughing let's go again from the top like it's just amazing and it just adds to like you almost wonder if like did cooper have a moment with this animal like did they exchange some thought no i think he was just saying hello like it was just it turns out animals are just fucking weird well yeah but like he plays it as though like in character as though like maybe we had a connection for a moment because he's a sender you know Mm -hmm. what i mean like it's yeah it's a it's just a great bit, and I love that it happened and that they kept it in. Um, Cooper believes that the bird that attacked Laura Palmer is a patient at the Lidecker office. I didn't understand why he believes that the bird that attacked Laura because is... Because they see birds, and they've got lots of them. It's the only veterinarian in town. Why wouldn't it? Mm, I guess. So, I don't know. I just feel like weird, cookie small-town people are not, like annual checkups for my pet kind of people. yeah probably not but they probably like had to get initial something maybe they track them maybe they i don't know i don't have a bird but you know what I, mean? I i that's a reasonable assumption no i don't think it's i, I i'm only saying this is as I, I lived in in montana for a couple summers and i would argue most of the animals there did not visit most humans there didn't go to the doctor regularly, let alone like having a regular vet appointment for your non-dog animal or cat. I, don't know. I mean, they never. He never said it was a regular had regular vet appointments. Well, I mean, uh, okay. Um, so the lawmen return to the station with the files from the veterinarian. Harry instructs Lucy to go through them and look for bird owners, and Andy apologizes for dropping the gun. He tells Lucy about it, and she brushes him off. Lucy, did you hear what happened? I feel so dumb. I dropped my gun, and it went off. Are you all right? Oh, yeah, I guess so, but... I would like to chat, but I am now under orders to examine these files, so if you'll excuse me, please. Why did he tell her? Did you hear what happened? I dropped the gun, and it went off. he thinks it's endearing, and like... Like, oh, look at me, like... It's him thinking she wants to see me be vulnerable. That's, I think, how he thinks. Like, or oh do you my think it's gosh. like the closest thing to actual action he's ever yes, gotten? Yes, all of that. All of that. And 
it's this story I have. I want to tell her, and he care, but she doesn't want to see him be mm-hmm. that. Cooper takes Andy to the firing range, and Andy says that he does not know why Lucy is angry. Hawk aces the shooting test, and Cooper instructs Andy to practice every day. Harry asks if Cooper has ever been married, and Cooper and Hawk discuss the the vagarities of love. Cooper shoots four through four bolts through the eyes and two through the nostrils. Um, over the intercom, Lucy says that the files are organized alphabetically by the name of the pet, which is a funny wrinkle to me. Mm. <laughs> I'm just like, <laughs> I need some more coffee. Yeah. Um, back at the diner, Shelly tells Norma. Uh, so Shelly is oh Christ. Um, Shelly's married to Leo, who is one of our suspects. She's got one too many men in her life, and she's married to him. Uh, she's a waitress at the diner. She's the most beautiful human in the world. <laughs> she's actually in love with Bobby Briggs, who's age-appropriate, but she's married to Leo, who's a straight-up monster and um, has doll's eyes. <laughs> at the diner, Shelly tells Norma that she has one too many men in men in her life and says that all Leo was looking for was a maid he didn't have to pay. Which is pretty... Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a pretty strong assessment of the situation. Uh-huh. Um, Norma sympathizes and says neither of them know what to do with their respective men. They each they each are married and also in love with a separate person. And this separate person is much, 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 much more nice. Much, 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 much more wow. nice. Wow. Much more nice. <laughs> <laughs> the, probably the muchest, more uh-huh. nicerest. Wow, Michael. Yeah. Okay. Um. Uh, yeah. I mean, the 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 perfect or the more perfect person for each of them is the extramarital, which is true for most of the yeah. coupleings. Yeah. Uh, Norma, uh, no, no, no. Norma says her plans are up in the air and that she's no longer sure she'll divorce her husband. Uh, though Shelley says she definitely has plans for Leo. James enters, walks to the payphone. Norma offers Shelley. A day at the spa together. That was nice. Uh, Donna answers. Norma is a queen. She Ugh. is just the nicest, which is why, like, it's kind of how I learned to like Hank's character a little bit was through Norma's eyes of just like he's a shitty dude, and like I don't like him as a person. I like him as a character sure. because I see the way Norma plays off of him and how like she's just wonderful human Mm -hmm. and she's married to this just jackass who isn't even like malicious it's just a fucking idiot criminal Uh, yeah just a scumbag uh donna answers james phone call and she invites him to the church potluck she says they need to talk about what audrey told her madeline walks up to the dinner the diner counter james says he'll go to see donna later later Stick not in this, but stares at Maddie for a couple minutes. <laughs> yeah, it's so awkward. Oh. He, just, he gets up from his seat and just walks over to her. She's facing forward. He's like perpendicular he's like to her. Nose is touching her, and cheek. he's just staring at her. There's a lot of people in this show. Who are you? And she's just like. Oh, <laughs> it's me, Maddie. Yeah, I, I, and I get, we, we talked about this before, like, televisions on average were much, much, much smaller in 1990-91. And so it makes sense if you want two people yeah, to be talking, to be. they have to be, like, alarmingly close. But, like, it really triggers something in me that I move away from the TV because mm-hmm. everybody's too close to each other. Um, so, uh, James, doop, doop, doop. 
I lost my spot. Post well, she picture. explains. James says, oh, he got she's some picking metal, up metal food comments for Sarah on her. She looks like and, Laura, but yeah. they didn't know each other well. And she's picking up food for, yeah. for her aunt and uncle. Uh, Norma finishes the phone call and tells Shelly that Hank got his parole. Next, uh, we're back at the Great Northern. Ben uses an exercise bike talking on the phone to Norwegian investors. I thought they were Icelandic this time around. That is true. They were Icelandic. Suck my dick, Twin Peaks wiki. I got this. Yeah, and they... It's one of those where they do that, like, half-joke bit. No, what what do you call a Norwegian and a Swede? Oh, yes, yes, that's very good, very good, very good. Just like one of those, that, like... And I said, it's not a penguin, it's yeah, my wife! Or, I mean, obviously the cream of the crop example of that is Breakfast Club, when he's... Uh, Judd Nelson Bender is crawling through the ceiling and he's mm-hmm. like a woman walks in and she's got a poodle and whatever and a, and he tells like the whole long setup and then crashes through the thing and you never hear the punchline and it's fantastic I, you don't remember that? I've only seen that movie it's twice and oh, really? I don't think I need to see it anymore um, Breakfast Club I was I was, a t- I was in high school the first time I saw it and the second time I saw it I was probably in my late 20s um, and it just a lot of John Hughes movies don't really mesh with my the kind of things I like to I okay I have limited patience for rich white kid problems and like people being assholes for their own sake and really white people problems period it really genuinely makes me mad that Molly Ringwald ends up with Judd Nelson I think it's absolute bullshit because he treats her I mean that's the same thing we had this discussion about pretty in pink the other day about I've how seen it. everybody it gets mad that Molly Ringwald and Ducky, mm-hmm. John Cryer's character, don't end up together. And to me, it's the best thing about that movie because Molly Ringwald is an awful human, and that and if you Ducky is wonderful, mm-hmm. and if he ended up with Molly Ringwald, she would have been awful to him. So like, I I think there's two something... good people have to deserve each other. Right, I, I do think there's also something in our because we're six years six years apart. And I think that's just long enough that we have kind of different touch points for our teenage years. Sure. Um, and so I'm sure if you saw, like, 10 Things I Hate About You, you would not think, like, oh, my God, that is, like, yeah, uh, the movie of my generation. Yeah. And I oh, fully sure. did. And I, yeah, that's absolutely true. But, but yeah, so the Gen Hughes movies were never I, I just thought, I always thought Breakfast Club kind of transcended that. No, I, and I've seen it, and I liked it when I first saw it. I think I just am really cynical about media consumption mm-hmm. now. Um <laughs> also, <laughs> I watched uh, St. Elmo's Fire with Anne maybe a year ago, too. And at some point she goes, okay, when I watch this, I just think about how each of them saw their character in Breakfast Club and was like, I'm going to play the opposite of that. And I couldn't stop laughing the entire movie because it was literally like an acting troupe of like, we're going to do this and I'm going to play a mean character because I played a nice character. Yeah. And it's just like, a bunch of like twenty-four-year-old idiots like playing out of out of type, mm-hmm. and I like the part with Demi Moore made me laugh so fucking hard because everybody's panicking about her, and I was like, she's just sitting in a room and it's raining. Like she, she's probably fine. Maybe we should hold our horses. Anyway, <laughs> um, so Ben is using the ex- uh, exercise bike. Audrey enters and asks if she if he's ashamed of her. Based on the previous conversation, she says that she was, she wanted to change her life, 
and help with the family business, saying that Laura's death inspired her to make something of herself. She has to work at the cosmetics department in the store, which is where we established that both Ronette and Laura Palmer worked before they died. Yeah, specifically the perfume counter. The perfume counter. Um, she embraces her father and sees a picture of herself with Laura Palmer. The phone rings and Benjamin discusses Audrey. He tells the caller to meet him. Oh, excuse me, dismisses Audrey. That makes much more sense. That's, that's the split diopter shot. Uh, he tells the caller to meet him down by the river in half hour and be discreet. The officers sh- sort the veterinary files. Gordon Cole says calls to say that Albert is faxing. The this recon- is where we learn about the uh, parakeet named Armstrong, who is my nemesis. <laughs> Go ahead, Michael. Um, We're at an hour, so. That's fine. Um, so in 2018, um, we went to the Twin Peaks Fest, which is something I've wanted to do for years and never did. Um, it was a blast. It was wonderful. And I'm really, really glad I did because now it's been canceled. Um, as of this year, even even without the COVID stuff, mm-hmm. the Showtime snuck in and stole it, basically, which is really annoying. Um, but so we went, and one of the events or one of the things they had was a, a trivia contest um, that was, I don't know, probably 40 people entered, maybe, something like that. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, I did not. Maybe more. Maybe was, more because there's a bunch of tables. I was cross touching. Yeah. Corner. Oh yeah. There was, but there was probably like eight. Anyway, eight tables. Yeah. Maybe between forty and eighty people. Um, and you, they would go around asking, you know, questions increasing in difficulty, and you'd eliminate people as you went, and then it went down to last table. Um, and my question was: throughout the series, there are two animals named Armstrong. What are the animals? And I said one of them is the Marjorie's dog from season three, and the other one is in the hospital records. It is a parrot named Armstrong, and I was incorrect because it was a parakeet. And so I was eliminated on that question, and I'm not bitter, which is no. my favorite. The officers sort the, uh, sort the vet- veterinary files. Gordon Cole calls to say that Albert is faxing the reconstruction from the plastic object from Laura Palmer's stomach. And that the marks were from a parrot or a minor bird. The fax is a poker chip with a J, possibly for one-eyed jacks. Andy finds finds a file for Waldo, a minor bird owned Waldo. by Jacques Renault. Uh, Cooper says they will make a house call. Another great thing, too, is that he always calls him Jacques Renault. Oh, does he? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Cooper does or? Uh, Andy. Andy does. Yeah, that tracks. Uh, two people play tennis at night on a lighted court. Oh, this is so great. It's so weird and good. Another great movie shot of like why are you watching it and then it just like swish pans over to Cooper like and the music drops it's like dun, dun, dun. like gets all dramatic like and they're, on a whim and they're like in full on winter clothes they're just playing yeah, yeah, tennis yeah it's great it's great uh, Cooper watches them and the officers run to the apartment building and up uh, and up the stairs they knock at a room and call for Jacques Bobby is inside and hears them Fleeing through the window and down an alley. The officers enter and a police car with siren bla- with sirens blaring drives toward the alley after Bobby. Cooper finds a bloody shirt with Leo's <laughs> Which initials. Which hanging out of a random drawer. I wish they had done something to find it. Like yeah. if he hid it, it slightly. Like even threw it on a laundry pile or something. It's just like in a kitchen hanging out of a drawer like super placed. Mm-hmm. Which is yeah. annoying but... A red Corvette sits in the woods uh, with Leo smoking nearby until uh, Ben taps him on the shoulder. 
So this is presumably the call that Ben had taken. Ben took in the previous. Uh, ben criticizes his choice, Leo's choice of vehicle, but says Hank believes Leo to be gifted. Uh, Leo points to a body and says it's Bernie. Do you know? I don't know who Bernie's. Bernie was the other Renault brother that the Bookhouse Boys interrogated. Oh, okay. So he's um, dead. He's dead, and he is wrapped in like burlap, but mm-hmm. tied up in the exact same way that Laura is. Mm-hmm. Um, like not just wrap, wrapped and then tied at various points yeah. throughout the thing, so it's almost form fitting. Um, um, so. And he also says Jacques is back in Canada. Leo does not believe that Bernie gave him up as Bernie was not too bright. Ben tells Leo to make sure the mill looks clearly like arson and hands him an envelope of cash. James and Donna walk through the woods. Donna says that Mrs. Palmer knows about the necklace's burial, that she had a vision, saw someone take it. James pulls aside a rock to find that the locket is gone. Donna says that somebody must have, fo- must have seen them and followed them. She says that both Laura and her mother had visions, and they discuss uh, telling this to the police. Donna says that they are the only two who loved Laura, and that they must find her murderer for the sake of their relationship. Uh, and they smooch. Yeah, yeah, that seems pretty straightforward. Yeah. But they do play it like it's grounded in the reality of like, who could have known? Yeah, we buried this thing in the woods. Yeah. Did someone follow us? Mm-hmm. Who knew to come to this random spot? And dig up like a three inch hole, you know. So it's it, like, I like the reality of that. Right. Uh, Josie answers a call from Harry. Uh, who, so this is Josie Packard, who technically owns Packard Sawmill. She's Dennis mm-hmm. Packard's widow. Dennis? Andrew. Andrew. Is there a Dennis? There's a Denise who used to be Dennis in mm-hmm. season two. I don't think that's what I was thinking of. Um, <laughs> uh, who asks if she, uh, Josie answers a call from Harry who asks if. She was at the Timber Falls Motel. She says to call her tomorrow. Pete enters. Um, so Pete is her, Josie's brother-in-law, mm-hmm. and they seem very affable. They seem, Pete, I would, honestly, I would watch a show about those two. I, just, I, I would just watch Pete. Just wander, I, I would just watch Pete fish. I would watch a fishing show. <laughs> Pete enters and says the day at the mill is over, and she fixes him a sandwich. He invites her to join him in a fishing contest. Wait, is Catherine asleep? Yes. <laughs> Can you put some mayo on that? <laughs> like, like, you love. I, like, I feel like you're ten years away from just being Pete. Oh, you need to learn how to fish. That's though. the best compliment I've ever heard. <laughs> um, he invites her to join him in a fishing contest, and she opens a letter with a picture of a domino with double threes. She walks away toward a taxidermy Which, bear. Presumably, that means it's from Hank. From Hank, yeah. She walks away toward a taxidermy bear. That the phone rings. I don't know if that bear is important dutch uh, angle so it's creepy oh okay it's hank licking an identical domino Ugh. josie holds herself and the credits roll yeah and that's it cool um this might be the weakest episode of season one. Oh, i really enjoyed it really uh, i enjoyed the first 20 minutes a whole lot yeah there's there's stuff i kind of get bored yeah it's the introduction of Hank takes a long time. The it's the least interesting sequence between Ben Horn and Catherine Martell. Yeah. It's it's this the big cliffhanger is Josie and Hank. And I've seen this show I don't know how many times. I don't even know what that means. Yeah. I don't know if it ever even comes back. 
I, yeah, like, it's, it's a weak cliffhanger. And I will say, there are certain characters that, like, as soon as they're on screen, I'm sort of automatically I, they, bored. As the show goes on, too, they really try to give Josie a lot of weight. And I, her character just doesn't earn it. Yeah. Yeah, I would say there's a handful of characters that, w- if they're on screen, I kind of zone out yeah. a little bit. Not intentionally, but just mm-hmm. usually nothing interesting or important happens. So I'd say Donna is one of those characters... <laughs> Josie is one of those characters. Donna, Donna gets some more importance in season two when it comes to the diary stuff. Yeah. Um. But yeah, there's. Yeah this 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 episode almost does seem split in half. J- mm-hmm. The one armed man, Jacoby, all of that early stuff is great. Yeah. And that already feels like a lifetime ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like yes. And the the characters I'm like obsessed with are obviously Cooper, but mm-hmm. he's in so much. Anytime Jacoby's on screen, I'm excited. Anytime Lucy is on screen, I'm like yeah. locked in. And like getting getting the boys together in the basement of the shooting range, just talking yeah. is is uh, Hawk recites this beautiful poem that he wrote he for wrote, his girlfriend. Yeah. Like it's those are beautiful little moments. And I'm it's weird. I'm obsessed with Catherine Martell as a character and as like a choice for this show uh-huh. like i'm just really into that yeah. they have like a sexual woman in her who is not 23 mm-hmm. um but <laughs> unfortunately nothing interesting happens around her i like ben horn i sort I of mean, roll my eyes she's at. great in the season one finale i should or a lot happens with her for that that i like um but yeah there's there's some stuff that struggles. Yeah. And I'm realizing, I'm very conscious of the fact that a lot of the boring characters I listed were women. Which doesn't make me feel great, but also I don't think that's my fault. I think that might no, be the fault of the writer. You're, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's Lucy. Lucy was an unexpected great character. Yeah. They built her character as the show went on because they were like, oh, fucking people love this girl. Mm-hmm. Like, she was supposed to be kind of a bit part that whatever. I'm kind of... I really like those stories of like this person was supposed to be a one-off character, yeah. but he he or she was so good. So like, yeah. I uh, mean, Laura Palmer was supposed to, Cheryl Lee was supposed to be yeah. a photograph and a couple of flashback sequences. Yeah. And now like we wrote Madeline for her. Yeah. Like, or like the janitor from Scrubs was only supposed to be yeah. one episode. Um, Andy Dwyer from Parks and Rec was oh, only, really? he was supposed to be that. written off after the first season, which makes sense because he and Anne break up and. Yeah. Spoiler alerts for the first season of Parks and Rec, I guess. Uh-oh. <laughs> okay. Instead, they wrote off, what's his, the other guy? Robin and Rashida Jones. No, the at the end of first season. Oh, yeah, Brandanowitz. Mark Brandanowitz. Yeah. Which, are you watching that? I like his character. I, I do, too. I, like, he's I definitely too. an everyman. He's not exciting, but, yeah. like, you, you need, need somebody some grounded yeah. in that casting. Welcome to our Parks and Rec podcast. <laughs> Leslie Dutz. Nope, nothing. There's nothing there. Okay, Um. all right. That is all. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to Cooper Duper, a Twin Peaks podcast for regular people, hosted by Michael Greif and me, Jessica Bloomke Greif. Our podcast logo is by Forker Creative. You can follow them at Forker Creative. Our theme music is by Brad Chactus. You can always email us at cooperduperpod at gmail.com. Please go on iTunes and leave us a positive review and tell a friend. We'll see you next week.